Hey, welcome to Win the Shift, a podcast for when life and faith go off script. My name is Michael Frost. And uh, hey, thanks so much uh, to all of you who are sending in your thoughts, your reflections, your feedback on what we're talking about at the moment on Win the Shift. Uh, as you will probably know by now, Shane Meyer Holt, my good friend, and I are talking about all things mega church. Uh, there have been a lot of stories, a lot of experiences, and a lot of pain emerge in recent times. And we are, as two people who have come from those kinds of churches, doing our best to help process, uh, to talk about it together, to just kind of have some conversation about what we think is going on. And and our real hope is that somehow you, maybe if this has been your experience, you feel some solidarity, you'll feel a sense like you're not alone. Or, or maybe if you're just really just starting to ask some of these questions, that it's giving you some framework to do that. Or if if this is kind of stuff that, you're now having to deal with uh, on on the other side of it and trying to make sense of what it is that has happened in your life or what that period of your life was about. We really hope that somehow this helps give language for some of that. So um, so that's what we're doing. Today in our conversation, we, we really tackle the underlying belief structure or some of the core aspects of the underlying belief structure that we think allow the kind of systems to flourish that we're seeing at the moment in these megachurch spaces. Um, how do we end up with leaders who create toxic cultures and who manipulate and coerce and abuse? And how, what kind of spiritual language is that given? What are some of the big arcs of belief that sit underneath that, that are, um, despite the good that is done within these spaces, ultimately we believe some of, some of those beliefs um, are really perversions really or bastardizations of of what we think the gospel and the church is really supposed to be about at its core and at its heart. So so that's what we're doing in this episode. Uh, so we talk about the idea of the, the hero figure, the man with the vision. Uh, we talk about that idea. We talk about empire and colonization and how those threads and themes weave into mega church um, mentality. Uh, we, we talk about the language of sacrifice and of self-giving and of laying, taking up your cross and laying down your life and how that gets used. Uh, in order to uh, co-opt people into building these spaces with good hearts, uh, and and we also talk about the kind of the payoff, the idea of God's blessing and 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 favor that will come upon you as you pour your life out in these ways. So how this kind of arc of, of belief um, upholds really becomes the the scaffolding or the foundation upon which so much of what we've already been talking about is able to be built. Um, and so so that's where we go in this episode. As always. You can get in touch, feedback at intheshift.com, or you can visit the website, intheshift.com. Get in touch with us there, or jump on Instagram, Facebook, and find In The Shift there, and um, say hi. Uh, let me know what you think, uh, a story, experience, uh, something you want to share, or just reach out to, to feel some sense of solidarity, whatever it is that you need. And uh, we know there are a lot of people processing their 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 thoughts, their experiences, their feelings, and their pain at the moment. So uh, we feel that too, I think, Shane and I, as we're having these conversations, and we hope that somehow this holds some space for all of that. So this is episode 58 of In The Shift. Let's get into it. So, uh, so what we 
wanted to do today. Obviously, that these conversations keep rolling on, and we I think keep realizing every time we talk that there's more to talk about. Uh, and and mm. that in some it's getting just, quite, it's getting quite a daunting list, isn't it? It is, and I think to some degree that that shows why it's such a big thing for people to even start unraveling any of this because there are so many intersecting ideas, um, cultural assumptions, beliefs, desires, passions, hopes, fears, mm. are all mm. interwoven together in in people's experience of of this, and and also so much. Good mixed in with the toxic, mm, mm, and so yeah, yeah, that's right. You know, some people have the option of the kind of like wholesale throwout <laughs> of like it's all bad, burn it all down. Um, but you know, some people have also a lot of experiences that you know they're deeply grounded in and um, are very nourishing for them in amongst all of these things. Mm. Yes, and that that's part of yeah, that can be part of it as well. The part of the confusion you experience in this process. Of, can mm. this be bad given that I had that experience or that moment or that thing mm. that really changed me or that really I mm. see as being really valuable in my life? Mm. Um, yeah, and that can be tricky to unpack. Anyway, so what we, what we wanted to do in, in today's conversation is really to, up until this point, we've been talking a lot about what's happening, um, the different sort of, um, we might even say sociological things that are going on. In other words, you know, what's the nature and the dynamic of the community itself? Like wh what kind of tools are being used? Uh, where is the good and where is the, the harm? How do these things interplay? And, and touching on some of the assumptions and some of the beliefs that, that play out in that space. But what we wanted to do in this conversation is, is have a bit of a think about what's the, what's the underlying belief structure, or at least a part of it. We, we can't deal with all of it. But what's a part of the underlying belief structure that, uh, enables this kind of thing to unfold in the way that it does. Um, and and in particular, because I think some people look at it and say, well, you know, as we've mentioned a few times, how can all of this, you know, be happening? Um, how can <laughs> people accept some of this? Um, surely, surely you could see through that, couldn't you? Or um, sometimes we feel embarrassed ourselves looking back and go, you know, I've heard from people this week who feel a bit foolish or a bit embarrassed. How could I have been sucked in by that, you know? Mm. Um, and, and at times the comparison has been made with like multi-level marketing um, scheme that, that these, you know, church systems can be a bit like that. Um, but certainly from within the inside, as we've talked about before, that's not how it feels or how it sounds because uh, it's couched in, in some ideas that sound very Christian, um, and and there are layers of of genuine faith woven through all of this for many people, and so so that's what we want to do today, right? We want to we want to have a have a think through some of the structure of 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 those underlying beliefs that that create the environment for this kind of system to be built upon. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and look, even even um, it's perhaps worth noting here that lots of people come to these places from contexts like from contexts that are outside the megachurch model who are looking for the best of what their childhood faith had, but with a capacity to do it better. Mm -hmm. So um, for those some who grew up in a Christian home, went to a Baptist church, actually this was me, um, <laughs> who, you know, really valued some things about that childhood faith and about Christianity and, you know, perhaps who had a very binary view of the world that, you know, do things as, 
Christian and not, and that was very important to them, and Christian equals good and not equals very bad or misled or um, not having any real fun. It just looks like they are. They think they are, but they're not. Um, mm. Who are looking for that church experience but are a little disillusioned with either the ineffectiveness or the uncoolness or whatever mm. of that experience. And so they come into this model um, partly because it's got enough echoes of where they've come from, but then it's able to do all those things so much better. So we can love Jesus and be really excited and cool. We can um, go to church and not be embarrassed by it. We can uh, believe in winning the lost. And at these places, it actually happens en masse all the time. Um, And as we referenced last episode, uh, others may view that as because they're much better at coercion and manipulation. Uh, but a kind of view is to say they're just very effective at it, and that's mm. exciting. And so people coming from, there needs to be, to make systems work, there needs to be enough correlation with the churches that these people have transferred from to make it seem like it's still the same thing but better. Yeah, and actually as, as you think about like the origin stories of some of these churches and these kinds of churches is has been very much a reaction if you like or a yes. response to the uncool church of childhood or whatever it is so so there was a real push and movement um from to, to move from churches that were kind of had bad music and bad decor mm. and mm. were fuddy-duddy and a bit embarrassing yep. and that you'd get yep. mocked at school for and so it's like, yep. what if we took churches and we turned them into things with incredible music and amazing decor and the best coffee and that yep. were incredible, um, right? I can see you bursting what, what to if, say something what if, what if your friend, What if your youth pastor wasn't your friend's dad, right. but in fact was a 19-year-old? <laughs> Who surfs and is cool mm-hmm. and dresses amazing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it's completely ill-equipped to deal with half of the complexity that you're facing. Yeah, yeah. So, so, um, so when you hear when you hear some of these, um, even some of the older guys who you know, um, mm-hmm. who have been in this game for a long time now, maybe thirty or forty years, when you hear them talk about why they took their churches in the direction that they did towards this kind of excellent mega church world um, where everything yeah. is excellent all the time. Oh, um, I'm excellent. <laughs> Uh, it's often, it was in some sense a response to that, to the embarrassment about church, to Mm. to seeing surely, surely if church is the hope of the world, it shouldn't be embarrassing to go to. And so let's make it incredible. And and, and maybe just naming with that as well, that there's some real fear in there. Like a lot of, a lot of them had seen churches which flourished in a less secular age. Um, and you know, back in the you know back in the day when New Zealand was perhaps more open to this kind of spirituality, and you know we can talk about all the sociological reasons about why that is. But just to say, when it was easier to keep people at churches because it was a part of our culture, and then slowly they had seen things die, yeah, um, and then felt like they were losing grip on um, New Zealand as a quote unquote Christian nation, yes, and so needed some radical solution to this because you know otherwise the whole thing was going to die and that would that would be bad. Cut and paste New Zealand in that sentence for Australia, for America, for yeah. wherever, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yes, we were a Christian. So you hear this narrative a lot, and this is going to tie into, I think, some of what we say 
uh, as, as we go on today. We were a Christian nation. We were founded on Christian ideals. People used to go to church, um, but they don't anymore. Church has become um, the butt irrelevant. of jokes or irrelevant yeah. or on the margins, and that's not the way things should be. And so we need to take the nation, win the lost, take it back for Jesus, um, gain influence, yeah. um, make Jesus famous, <laughs> phrase that gets used. I hate that phrase so much. Um, those people, people, if you say that, you haven't spent a lot of time in the Gospels, I feel. Um, <laughs> you know, so so that drives some of that impetus. Yeah, you're right. It's fear. It's fear of becoming irrelevant. It's fear of the, this whole thing. In fact, the secularization that, that people were seeing in the West, the church is simply going to fade away. And so yeah. um, all of these even factors. That, mm. Even that people within the church just aren't taking it seriously enough. Mm-hmm. Like, and again, a real fear of going like, oh, we have a kind of cultural Christianity where people are coming to church, but they're not really, they're not really on fire. They're not really taking it seriously. You know, like my nana went to Presbyterian church and, you know, she was like this, but, you know, they didn't, they didn't talk about saving souls. Like they were talking about, you know, other stuff and how are we going to win the nation with that attitude? Like, yeah. So there are two too. kind of, there are two main responses to that sort of concern, I think, that we see. One is, um, kind of, is which we saw a lot in the seventies and the eighties in places like New Zealand, Australia, and and in America, I think as well, and probably the West more generally, which is an intense revivalism, which mm-hmm. was around spiritual experience. It was about getting on fire for God. It was about, um, you know, God's gonna. There's going to be a move of God in the nation. Yep. Um, yeah. and, and looking to former revivals of, you know. Yeah, and looking to uh, former revivals, these, you yeah. Know, reports of like these things, like I would say often largely overblown, but sometimes not reports of where there have been, um, you know, mass responses to particular yes. um, emerging spiritualities within Christianity. So yeah. there was a lot of praying for revival. There was a lot of mm-hmm. um, desiring this kind of move of God uh, and what, what are the conditions we need to get right in order for God to do this thing again. Not um, masturbating, Michael. No, no, definitely that's, not masturbating. That's the first, the first condition. Yeah. <laughs> okay, this is off topic, but I did, I did go to my youth pastor once and say, I'm just really struck. You know, we were talking about breakthrough last time, and how we talk a lot about breakthrough at a personal level, but you don't really know what it is. Um, like no one really knows what breakthrough or another level no. actually is, and so I was deeply no. desiring breakthrough, but I didn't seem to be feeling, you know, it. Um, I, I wasn't experiencing whatever was the breakthrough was supposed to be. So I went to my youth pastor and I said, I, uh, I'm, uh, I'm really trying to break through, but doesn't need to be happening. He's like, masturbation. That's what it is. <laughs> He's like, you know yep. what it, you know what it is. <laughs> number, like, one cap, number one cap off the rank. And, you know, for just about every teenage guy, that's going to explain everything for a long, long time. <laughs> <laughs> and not just guys. Yeah, I, um, one of, uh, for those of you out there, one of uh, Frosty and I, whenever we do get together, we live in different nations, so it's quite difficult, but uh, my wife doesn't come from this context. And one of our favorite games to play is <laughs> things that happened in our church life um, that may shock you <laughs> and tell stories for her to go, no, surely no. And uh, masturbation altar calls is one of the ones that always really gets her. She still can't believe that happened. 13, oh, look, guys, young people just up in front of everyone. Just sort of shoulders down, heads down, <laughs> slumping their way to the front of the meeting to get prayed again. for again for the spirit of masturbation to be cast out <laughs> from them. Uh, or <laughs> those so were the days. We, we, we do not have time today to talk about purity culture. No. But boy, is that one going to be coming up at some stage. Yeah. 
and how much damage is done. Um, okay, so uh, before we <laughs> end up talking about masturbation <laughs> for an hour, let's t- <laughs> we were talking about like one of the two responses was kind of intense revivalism. And I think you mentioned yeah. in, back, actually back in the first episode that your church went through that phase of mm. desiring intense revivalism. Yeah. Yeah. What then eventually started it didn't the, work. Yes. So eventually <laughs> there were sort of pockets of things happening, but eventually it didn't mm. really get the kind of change. And so um, and so you started to get these churches say, well, okay, we need to take a different approach here. And so adopt very specific like church growth strategies. There's church growth books, church growth consultants. Um, mm. We need to we need to do the work. Um, and I think one it's of the, a leadership the, problem. Yeah. And yep. So leadership becomes talked about incessantly. Um, mm. all of the time. Uh, there were things like, I remember it talks about, you know, well, um, God gives you enough faith to move the mountain, but if the mountain doesn't move, then you just got to get a shovel and get digging, you know. Um, <laughs> and so it sounds a lot like, if the spirit doesn't move, I move the spirit. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, but mm. that's indicative of what was happening in that time, that transition from God's yeah. going to do this thing to actually we've got to yeah. do this thing and then we'll, yeah. we'll sort of lay a God name on and, and, mm. and godify it. Um, mm. And so that's given rise to the kind of churches we have now. Now, it should be said, plenty of problems with the intense revivalist framework. Um, oh, yes. I'm still also, working through some of that. Yeah. Uh, and then layer on top of that sort of the, the echoes of that revivalism, so the importance yeah. on souls, numbers of souls being saved, um, yeah. still on an intense sort of passionate relationship with, with Jesus of some kind. Mm-hmm. Um, and then layer onto that then the kind of more um, corporate church growth leadership all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. All of the books yeah, that come not, out. They're not separate. They're, they're, yeah, they're yeah, siblings. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not that one replaced the other. It's that one mm. kind of grew out of the other as a kind of a response to its inadequacies but maintaining some of its core drives. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so um, that sort of gets ahead of perhaps <laughs> the, the structure of what we want to talk about today. But I think it's it's helpful to start to get a sense of the context of, of, of where mm. these places – uh, I was going to say, have arisen from, uh, yeah. and <laughs> but also, but also, just to say, like, I mean, again, a lot of the outsider commentary on this stuff is like these grifters getting into it for the money. Mm. Like when when all of the kind of heroes of the megachurch faith getting into it, there was no money. It, mm. it wasn't about money. That's mm. not that wasn't the primary driver. There was power, and that mm. was certainly one of them. Um, but there were lots of other reasons, like the the. The money is a byproduct of some of the stuff, and mm. then becomes a driver. But um, that wasn't the foundation of mm. most of for most of these mm. people. Mm. Uh, okay, well then let's let's talk a bit about let's let's give a bit of structure to to what sits underneath then. And I think to do that, we're sort of we're going to work our way through maybe four ideas um, that we've loosely got in front of us. Uh, we were both, we have a shared Google Doc of just very loose things that we think we should, might need to talk about at yes. some stage. And we were both very disappointed to find the other person hadn't put any work into it in the meantime, because apparently we're too busy parenting. Uh, all the work was going on in our hearts, Shane. Um, <laughs> <laughs> in fact, when I was in the shower this morning, God dropped these four points. Oh, yeah, that's good. Onto me. Maybe you should write that down if you're taking notes mm. out there. <laughs> I always On thought, podcasting. again, I'm podcasting aside, better than your responding. <laughs> I always thought it's an amazing level of confidence to be like to be talking to a group of people and saying, "Now I'm about to I'm about to give you a thought, but you need to write this down. Get your pen ready." I'm like, wow, that's I mean, an amazing fact, level of like, the fact that it was referenced in Anchorman <laughs> as actual satire. Yeah, 
Yeah. Um, so we so we want to talk. We want to start by talking a little bit about the idea of the hero narrative. The kind of and that mm. you know makes sense in light of what we've just been talking about. The kind of the disappointments, the concern, the fear, the the things haven't eventuated in the way they are, uh, the way that we desire, or we're actually losing ground here. Um, so so emerges the hero narrative, the man with a plan, mm. uh, who's going to mm. lead us with those great leadership mm-hmm. skills to glory. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. That's then tied into. Um, why we might want to do that, and that's that's relates. We're going to talk a little bit about colonization and empire today. Then we want to talk a bit about the the how do we get people on board with that, and so some mm-hmm. of the ways in which certain Christian ideas can get a bit distorted and messed up and used to essentially get people to do stuff for mm-hmm. you as a, as a leader. Uh, and then we'll talk about the the sort of promised payoff uh, that yeah. that keeps people in in. Hoping, yeah. to, hoping to see one day. So, um, what well, you'll get out of it. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so that's roughly the, the path we want to take in our conversation here. So let's start with the let's start with the hero. Let's start with the man with the plan. Um, what's going on here? Yeah. Well, I mean, as we already re- referenced, that when when revivalism didn't kind of pay off in the ways that uh, everyone had hoped, the um. I mean, let's not, we could get into the kind of like sociological stuff that was happening, particularly within the corporate world in America mm. at the time, um, which bled into the church. And there's a kind of really clear link, but we won't bore you with all of that. Other than to say it was deduced that the real problem is a leadership problem within the church. Mm. And so the thing that was kind of the ceiling or the capacity of your church um, was the leader and the systems that the leader implemented or um, the vision that the leader set and then the systems and structures that allowed that to happen. Um, and again, lots of kind of co-opted um, biblical, quote-unquote, leadership principle like, um, you know, Moses and the uh, overseers. Uh, I can't remember the number anymore because it's been too long since I've been in this, but, you know, dividing up into groups of overseers who see group, oversee groups of people and groups of people so that Moses doesn't get too tired listening to everybody's complaints. Or that when um, Moses is up on the mountain or up on the hill. Uh, and they're in a battle and he has to have people come and hold his arms up for him so that, yep. you know, because he's the yep. anointed one who has to have his arms up. So won't yep. you come and hold up my arms? Um, <laughs> I don't know how many times I heard that story. Too many, yep. too many times. Too many. Yep. How many arms have you got, octopus man? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so effectively it all comes down to the visionary the visionary leader uh, and mm. then biblical examples are wheeled out left and right mm. where um, really the story of the church is the story of the leader of the church. Mm. And so they are the one who all eyes are on um, to deliver a vision on behalf of God. And so one, one of the things that happens in this is there's this kind of like um, conflation between God and the leader. Mm-hmm. And there's a conflation between um, the leader and the church. And there's a conflation between the church institution and the church people. And so all these kind of things are um, are brought into some kind of like tier, tier system where, um, you know, at the end of the day, what Christians are supposed to be doing is building the church. What the church is, is this church and this church institution. What this institution is, is represented by the leader who has the vision, who's heard from God um, about the church, what the church needs to be doing. Um, and then God is the one behind this scheme. Um, so don't worry about anything else in your life. Don't worry about um, any sense of vocation. You know, you, sure, 
go and do things um, out there in the world um, to be a witness, but don't let them get in the way of the most important thing, which is the local church. Mm. Uh, and again, what we mean by the local church is this church, not those other crap ones, uh, and also the things that we can put this church's logo on, mm. those are the things that God is doing in the mm. world. Um, mm. And so please try not to get involved with anyone doing any other kind of good, because unless we can say that our logo is on it, then we can't uh, we can't say that God is doing it. And so all those things are conflated together. So it's kind of the job of the people to listen you know that you know without the without a vision the people perish mm-hmm. and so it's the job of the people to kind of wait around for the man with the plan and you know uh let's not get too riled up today and start talking about the patriarchy within the system but it is mm. almost always and uh mm. with a doting partner um there to support them in it uh and and their job is to kind of like deliver you know like Moses deliver a vision from on high share it with the people so they know what to do and so that they um you know don't perish um and that that gets passed down which again we can talk about the kind of structural stuff of what this does to leaders because mm. It's it's not it's not good. Um, we can talk about the comparisons with uh, how it resembles the New Testament church. It doesn't, <laughs> um, but that's kind of the the narrative. And so, even when you look at scripture and the kind of models that get wheeled out, um, everyone else uh, in the story is kind of a learning experience for the central character that is the hero. So Mm. Abraham learns things through um, dealing with Hagar. Um, You know, David learns things through his encounter um, raping Bathsheba. Like the, all of these things uh, essentially come back to the trials and tribulations and the story of, um, of the leader. And so it all comes back to the kind of primacy of their experience. Yeah, and one of the fascinating things about the Jesus story is that um, the, one of the reasons people were so disappointed with Jesus <laughs> is precisely because he wasn't all of those things that they imagined a leader would be, a hero would be. Yeah, uh, They were waiting yeah. for one who would come and rule on the throne of David uh, and therefore be like David and be the hero and be the conqueror, um, and he just wasn't. He wasn't that. He, yeah. he actively resisted that path. Mm. Um, and again, you know, some of the, some of these challenges could be solved by a, re- a deep return to the gospel stories. Um, instead of just boiling Jesus down to, he died and rose again, so we can go to heaven. Woohoo. Uh, but not just that, he was also a leader. Oh yes. And he was a leader. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. Jesus was born. He was a leader and then he died and rose yeah. again for our sins. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting even thinking about like a lot of those Old Testament texts, you know, like without a vision, the people perish or write the vision down and make it plain or something like that. Um, And really what was happening was corporate and church growth um, influence was saying basically the same as what was happening in business spaces. To run an effective organization, you need to have a vision statement, a mission statement, a set of Mm -hmm. key values, and you need Mm -hmm. to get everyone to buy into those so that they will direct their time and energy into serving that vision, uh, everyone will be clear about what it is uh, and what it means. Mm. Mm. And um, yeah. and so you take that model and then you go, right, oh, uh, quick quick um, keyword search in the Bible for vision. Uh, oh, yes. here's a couple of verses. <laughs> yes, yes, write a vision down and make it plain. And that's why it's very important that we have a vision statement at the top of our strategic plan because that's what the Bible <laughs> yes. says. You know, it's actually, yeah. no, you were going to do that anyway. You just were Googling for it. And so it gives a kind of a pseudo 
spiritual biblical basis for an idea that's you know doesn't really come from there at all. And in fact, you know, the the context of the Old Testament story as a as a suffering and you know a suffering people who mm. for whom there is very little hope at many times in their story, and the idea mm. that the prophets would emerge and say, you know, there there is still hope for you. You know, thing, things are. Yeah, uh, hard right now, but there is hope. Yeah, and to take that and turn yeah. that into sort of a nineteen nineties two thousands corporatized yeah. mission basis for a for a vision statement is a very strange move. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, and and, and kind of like the corporate context as well. Um, the kind of mirror here is that it absorbs everything into a you know a, a kind of single bottom line. So its idea is to kind of try and absorb all the lies of the church to gain their focus on what the church institution is doing, mm. um, so that it becomes this kind of like black hole of energy of anything spare that you have gets absorbed back into the system, um, so that we can be the most productive productive and we can say, um, hey, look at all the great things that we, that we are doing. Um, so because it's all happening through our mechanism, we can say, you know, the church isn't a waste of time and a waste of space. We're feeding this many people. We're doing mm. this much stuff. We're doing this much good in the community. We've got this many people on the stage at one time. We've got all these things happening. Um, and it, it, it just so mirrors that kind of like um, – shareholder responsibility of, you know, like the one thing we need to do is to make the shareholders happy by like raising our stock price. The one thing we need to do is to make this church strong so our brand gets strong so that people can see that the church is actually doing something. Mm. Um, and the kind of paranoia about any distractions from doing good that the church doesn't have its name on. Mm. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, there's not many kind of surprise anonymous Christmas parcels going out. No, I mean, I, I, I hate to, to mention the fact that at one point my job was to write press releases for the various things we were doing in the community. So, yep. Did one of them involve, uh, in the background, asking for the communities themselves to pay for the thing, for the Christmas boxes? <laughs> there is, <laughs> or is that too too much information? No, there is, uh, there is some degree to which some organisations were being asked to contribute to the things they had. Um, they were being given, yes. Um, Which was not being mentioned on the Facebook post of you taking pictures of the people that... No. Uh, that was after I was involved, given. of course, uh, well after. Of course, but, um, yeah. yeah. All, the, all the persons, you know, I got involved actually on staff at church because I really cared about the community side of things. I really, you know, so I was first, that was the first year I was involved in. And I remember we went and, um, you know, there was a, a solo mum who was really struggling um, and we went and made over her garden and did her lawns and took away a bunch of trash and um, fixed up a few bits and pieces. And mm-hmm. I mean, which is hilarious just because if you know me, you know how hopelessly impractical I was. <laughs> so I spent most of the four hours trying to figure out how the weed eater worked um, while everybody else ran around and did things. Did stuff. Um, <laughs> I was and that's an not because you were arrogant. Excellent, excellent team coordinator. Um, but you know, then the decision was made above me that we should put, we're going to put up a big sign in their front yard basically saying, you know. Oh, Lord. Um, house of the month for for with the church logo on it, um, yeah. So that now yeah. that so that so that it's known by everybody that this community yeah. thing was done. So, yeah, um, we'll give you a gift, but we'll take your dignity. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. So, um, so that all flows from the the leader, the man with the plan, who flows into the vision, which flows into the church being the thing that everything is about, uh, yeah. and. And like you say, so uh, you might have um, a bunch of people in your church who. Um, I don't know, maybe work in healthcare, 
mm. um, or work with in aged care facilities or in schools with kids or yeah. whatever they do or or are raising their kids at home or you know doing mm. very very meaningful things but none of that really yeah. counts unless no. you're a really good businessman oh yes <laughs> then it counts because then, then there's a special club that's made for you that you can join but you do have to pay mm. usually quite a few thousand dollars to join the special club uh, and then you can be in the special business club um anyway that's another <laughs> that's another issue um, we have too many tangents oh man yeah. well there's just so many batshit crazy things going on um <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll do one episode one day of just wild stories. Yeah, so maybe let's, we should let's do that. Sing, let's shelve some of this. Um, and so, so it kind of doesn't matter that you're, I don't know, working sixty hours a week in in the hospital. Yeah, it doesn't really matter to the church in the sense that oh, we might do I don't know one a Sunday we'll we'll say good on you all those people doing that. Um, but mm-hmm. really, what you're trying to get those people to do is to volunteer at the church to help make yep. the church vision happen. I remember yep. a story yep. of um, of of a, someone at our church who was being given the great privilege of driving um, a mega church pastor s- speaker from um, Sydney, Australia, uh, from Hillsong, and uh, and and that preacher went on to tell the story at the conference about how they they picked up the, they got picked up by this young man who was driving them, and so um, the pastor said, "Tell me, young man." What the what vision do you have for your life? And the young man recited the vision statement of the church, and the preacher extolled this in front of the masses, in front of the thousands, to say this guy mm. gets it. He gets mm. that in fact his life doesn't have its own purpose or yep. goal. He Story. gets yep. that his yep. life is about the vision of this church. Um, yeah, yep. and so and, so yeah. what God is doing in the world, and therefore what God is doing in your life is directly correlated to to the, the church. The, mm. What this church is doing is what God is doing in the world, and that is the mechanism. Yeah. And again, like, you know, we talk, touched a little bit on, about kind of like ancient traditions within the church about things like vocation, mm. where actually having a community to help name the gift that you have to, to give to the world and some sense of what it is um, that your unique combination of um of of who you are and what you're good at and what you do and what your passions are and all these kind of things that 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 in itself is a gift to the world, but that is um, is taken on by this narrative to say if that can function within the church, all the better. Uh, if it can't, then give over and above that, um, or abandon it. I mean, I remember being picked up. I was visiting someone and they sent an intern out to pick me up who um, had a pretty good uh, <laughs> career in graphic design that they gave up to be an intern for that year. And they said to me, oh, you know, I was just doing graphic design. I never I never believed that I'd actually get into ministry. Mm. Um, and at that stage of my journey on the inside, I'm going, just please go back. <laughs> go back to graphic design and do something good for the world. Um, but there's no frame, there's no framework framework for that unless you can kind of spiritualize it in such a way that you can use it directly for the church like you know create creating beauty and goodness and truth um creating better systems seeing justice happen um being someone who cares for others bodies because human bodies need caring for all of those things aren't a direct line enough to the vision to kind of be validated in the system yeah yeah totally um i remember actually a 
<laughs> story time. Uh, there's going to be a few of these today, perhaps. But I, I do remember a, a surgeon, or no, he's not a surgeon. He was an aspire. He was on the surgeon track, getting stood up in a church service because it turned out because when you're on the surgeon track in New Zealand, at least you get placed in a bunch of different locations to have different experiences around in your sort of twelve years of training. And he'd been through I don't know eight, nine, ten years of training, and then he was getting placed outside of the city. Uh, and so he turned down the placement and abandoned his surgeon training because he wanted to stay committed to the local church because that's what God was doing. And he yep. got stood up in front of the church and you know and praised for this incredible action of devotion. Um, yep. And then, yeah, looking back, you're just like, oh. I mean, yep. again, that doesn't mean that person's life is now ruined or anything like that. Or that but it's just... It's just but it does indicative. mean that you would never hear about it if it was. <laughs> and yeah, we might talk no, about this totally. in a little bit. Much like yeah. the person who cut their cast off because their broken arm was healed and then didn't get dragged up the next day uh, when they were told that they were an idiot by their doctor that they still had a broken arm and had mm. a cast book back on. You would never hear that story. Um, and you would never hear this one either mm. if it didn't turn out exactly like yeah, yeah the narrative. Yes, that was a story at a, at a national youth conference. It was a broken leg, actually. Um, but yes. Oh no, it's happened a few times. Oh, is that a few different? Okay, a few different. Places. Oh yeah. Okay, because that sure. happened to a friend of mine and oh, right. some others also. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, let's let's let's, let's keep this one moving because we are definitely going to be a long one. So, so that's the kind of the what the, the hero narrative, the leader who's going to essentially make all of this happen, who's going to lay out the vision mm. that we're all going to buy into. Then we kind of move yep. into the to the why. What's what's underpinning some of that desire to expand, to grow, to take the nation. To um to have influence yep. and so on. So here we want to talk a little bit about colonization and and empire. So, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, so even the kind of phrasing, the, the the phrasing of a lot of the stuff, um, yeah, is just is just really colonizing um language. Do you, you want to maybe talk about colonizing language, Frosty? Yeah, I um, I mean, you know, because a lot of people will be obviously aware of the stuff, and then some might be new to them. Sure. So, I mean, essentially, you've got what, what you've got happening within uh, the Western Church, in particular, is kind of a tying together of the narrative of um, of the empire with the narrative of the gospel and the church. And so, um, where the West, initially the British Empire, essentially set out. To colonize, and not only not only the British, you had the, you had the Spanish and you know, Portuguese, and mm. you know a bunch of um, and and stemming back. I mean, know, back back to back to Rome. Oh, totally back to back to the Roman <laughs> the Greek, Empire. The Greeks and well. the Romans absolutely, then, yep. and back to Babylon before that, and you know, the, mm-hmm. and the Greek Alexander the Great, and all. That. So this is a it's pretty standard um, human behavior. Also known as the enemy and the powers in the Bible. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Except, uh, yeah, that's not quite the way it plays out in the church sometimes in these mega church spaces. They become the heroes. Um, but so, so, so there's obviously always been this, this drive within particular ego-driven uh, human leaders and human cultures and societies to see themselves as superior, to see themselves as needing to spread out around the world and to take it. And, yep. and you certainly see that in the, in the West, flow through the, the Greco-Roman Empire into the British Empire, now you see it somewhat in it play out through essentially the American Empire, um, and so um, as as for example, and what affects us here in, in New Zealand, as the British Empire was spreading out and colonising the world, it was encountering the heathen, 
you know, the heathens and the savages who were in these lands that mm. needed to be civilized and converted. Yeah. And so um, you had you had the kind of, certainly this is the case within the New Zealand story, the, the dual um, ideas of civilization and conversion. Uh, some missionaries kind of um, disagreed with each other about what should come first. Should we convert and then civilize or do we need to civilize and then convert? But but essentially both of those things were, were present for all of them. And and so it's you need to change, you need to assimilate, you need to become like us because we are the empire bringing the good news. We are bringing mm. the answer to you. Um, you might have been here. To you. We might have been here for a thousand years, living quite happily, but now we have arrived mm. to deliver you from yourselves, to bring oh, the glory goodness. of the empire, to take over your mm. land, uh, mm. to take your land. Uh, for your own well, good. Well, well, even not take your land, take nobody's land. Because one of the driving kind of ideas behind this is a concept called terra nullius, which, you know, comes back to the um, Latin, um, you know, Roman world, where essentially like there's all this land out there to conquer, and, conquer and but it's, it's really nobody's um, because uh, no one like us owns it. There's no one really there. Um, there might be people on it, but it's not really theirs. Um, and so we're all we're doing is going out and civilizing the world. Mm. Um, and we might be running over a few people in the process, but they're kind of a subhuman class. Yeah. Um, and again, this is where biblical language and biblical story kind of gets co-opted into all mm. of this. Um, we mentioned, you know, can't remember how many times ago, but about the Joshua narrative and the, you know, the Joshua narrative is kind of, you know, some people who are being freed from slavery um, and then were given a promised land and their kind of instructions. Um, and we won't kind of necessarily try and work through um, some more, some better ways of seeing all of this stuff. Um, but their instructions are effective to go into this promised land. And there might be some pesky people there. Uh, they might turn to God, but if they don't, definitely kill them and wipe them out completely. Um, and that's a that's another hero story mm. of the fact that God um, in, in, in invited us to violently take land. And there might be some collateral damage in that, but it's all for the greater good. And that's okay. Mm. And that ties into, you know, like this stuff isn't just mega church stuff, obviously, yeah, because, you know, the church and colonization have a very long history. Yeah. Um, but this stuff is certainly co-opted in terms of going, you know, we need to do what it takes to take the nation and we will be very intense about it. And sometimes that might mean we need to get aggressive. Um you know, I and, and and sometimes that means that we need to take other churches. I mean, I had a conversation with someone a while back who said, you know, um, mega mega church pastor X had to go and talk to this sad little dying church who was doing nothing and had to get quite firm with them to say, you know, either you could be muddling about doing whatever it is that you're doing and eventually going to die, or you could be a part of something really, really important. If you, you know, why don't you gift your land and gift your stuff to this church? Um, and then you could actually be something and we could take the nation together. And then mm. when they decide that that might be a good idea, those people are very quickly exited uh, out the back door because they're not really enough of the culture of the church. Yeah. Uh, and so even the church gets colonized yes. in this process, but it's all in the name of taking the nation. Mm. Um, and so it's it's justified. We've got ultimate goal. Therefore, we need some desperate ends. And if some people get stabbed on the way, then, you know, that's unfortunate, but necessary. Oh, and look, and we probably won't get into all of that today either, but if those people were probably going to hell anyway, like some people that we yeah. might have run over along the way. Um, yeah. I think it was, uh, who was it? Um, one of the, um, some, I think St. Mary, not St. Mary, Mary Queen of Scots, I think, who said, you know, if God is going to burn, um, 
my enemies in hell after they die. Basically, I may as well get started and start burning them now, you know. Mm. Um, and now, mm. obviously, what we're talking about is no, is not that extreme, mm. but but the logic is still kind of a, of a the logic is what we're doing is yep. so important, and God is so on yep. our side, uh, and yep. and the nation is lost, the world is dark. Um, yep. The world is is lost, and it needs saving, and it needs rescuing from us. And yep. so, there's a real mirroring yep. between that colonization language of of the empire, um, yep. heading around the world, uh, and the church's mm. the church's notion of of we are the only answer. And so, you yep. hear this a lot in yes. in these churches. Yeah, we are the only. The church is the hope of the world. The church is the only answer that people have. Um, yeah, without us, yep. they are lost forever. Yeah. And so this is mission critical, right? Yeah. So if we have to get firm about it, mm. then we'll get firm about it. If we have to push people a bit hard, mm. you know, like mm-hmm. I don't, you know, some of you will have experienced, you know, Salvation Elder Calls in this context where the group psychology and the pressure um, around, you know, responding to God and giving are both ramped up pretend that it becomes incredibly difficult to resist. Mm. Um, but any pressure can be justified because it's towards an ultimate end. And so same even kind of with some of the good that's done, you know, like, um, you know, working in schools or working in the community or whatever, like, you know, so maybe we do need to make sure our brand gets out there so that people know that it's God doing it. And maybe we do need to pictures of all the good we do up, even though it kind of robs the people receiving it of their dignity. Um, because, People need to know that the church is doing good in the world. Like the experience of those who are being cast aside or colonized or, you know, invited in, uh, quote unquote, doesn't, isn't really the central part of the story. Um, and I think, again, we won't get too deep into it, maybe another episode, but that's where kind of like um, Latin American liberation theology, Native American theology, you know, Maori theology, um, womenist, which is um, African American, American women theology, um, all have something to say here because a lot of them write about things like, you know, the book of Joshua through Canaanite eyes of saying, hey, <laughs> um, you know, when we read the story of Joshua, what we read is us being the ones that are being run over and trampled by a warlike God Um where is God in this for us? Um, when I read the story of Hagar, I don't see, um, you know, that Abraham is, you know, trying to give birth to a nation kind of by hook or by crook and, you know, and he learns some lessons about obedience in this. I see um, Hagar in the story uh, and the fact that she is a sex slave and that sometimes this is what people use, you know, to justify um, this kind of behavior. Like the the perspective of the outsider, in these stories is really, really important. And I think the gospels draw our attention to the stuff because of the way it highlights outsiders in society and the way Jesus kind of interacts with prioritizes and responds to them that we need to go back to those stories and look and say, you know, if we read the story through the eyes of Jesus, through the eyes of the one who was scapegoated by empire, if we read the story through the eyes of the one who um, took the side of the powerless, then maybe we'd read these stories differently. Yeah, one of the things that we do is always put ourselves, <laughs> and, and I say we as a yes. collective we, and especially in, in, mm. in these in, in Christian spaces and in particular in megachurch spaces, but this is, again, this is a, a challenge more common to Christianity yeah. um, is in the West, is to see ourselves as the, as the characters in the stories that we know are the heroes, yeah. Uh, even when those heroes are kind of suffering, 
Yeah. So um, we are like Israel who were slaves in Egypt who have been liberated, mm. which means mm. that then we're allowed to take the land because we kind of, these, these, this is us. Um, or, That's right. And, yeah. and when, you, when you understand that most of the scriptures, in fact, even taking into account what you're saying, but, but most of the scriptures are written from the underside of power, from a suffering mm. people, mm-hmm. um, you don't get to just automatically identify with them <laughs> and no, say, oh, it, yes, that's me. So those words are my words. Um, yeah. I don't get to put their words in my mouth in the same way. You can't. If so, so one of the things, one of the tragedies that happened in, in the development of the church when it moved from being a marginal movement to being a part of the Roman Empire, essentially it moved to becoming empire and becoming the colonizer, is the words of suffering people get put into the mouths of people with great power. Yes. And so you yep. get some of these, you think back to some of the Psalms of lament uh, in, in the Hebrew Bible um, that are like, God, would you just crush my enemies? And, you know, mm. um, because these are people who mm. have lost everything and they're these cries yeah. of anguish. Who, who've just had their children massacred in front of them. Yeah. And, and they're responding out of trauma and yeah. that guttural sense. Yeah. So God, would you yeah. just come and you just crush my enemies? And that's, you know, that's this expression that's recorded in the story to help us understand the depth of trauma and pain and anguish. Mm. Um, and mm. that actually just, you know, the, the cry out to the divine in that place is very understandable. Um, mm. Take those same texts and with no context, put them into the mouth of, mouth of the Roman emperor who says, yes, yes, God, crush my enemies. Well, suddenly that text is now being abused very badly. And yeah. so um, yeah. what colonization often does in, in this space, or the, the take the nation, the empire, is take people yeah. who are already quite privileged and powerful and mm-hmm. then give them a narrative that makes them the persecuted ones who yeah. have to rise up and take back yeah. and um, yes. take yeah. back what was lost. Yeah. And I think, and especially if you put them in the context of a, of a secular media who's out to get the church mm-hmm. and like, mm-hmm. you know, you, you kind of like... Um, you know, rally like all of these kind of seen and unseen enemies against you, you know, to, that are trying to stop your plan, then even more so you get that. In, you've done podcasts on or um, blog posts on the Christian persecution complex, so we mm. won't get too deeply into that. But also with that is the way that triumph, triumphalism is used, the mm. kind of like triumphant stories of mm. like, you know, this person gave this much money and then look at them now, they're doing wonderful. Mm. Um, and God gave them this much back and this person gave up and now God's rewarded them with that. And all the triumph stories are told. Um, so much so that I talked to someone, you know, a while back who said, I've never known anyone who's given money to God and has regretted it or isn't richer on the other side. And I'm like, yeah, that's because you don't talk to those people <laughs> and they're too scared of you to tell you their story. Mm. But I know hundreds of of them mm. who feel violated and abused mm. and ashamed mm. and confused mm. on the other side of it when that hasn't worked out for them. Mm. But it's only the stories of triumphs, mm. the stories of the conquerors mm. that get told. Mm. It's not the story of the people who have been abused, bullied, mm. manipulated, or the people who have been, you know, spat out on the other side. So let's let's talk about that shift then. So we've kind of talked about the man with the vision, man with the plan, and then and then the empire that the man is building, essentially. Um, God is building slash the man. Um, actually yep. the man, but let's say God, yep. um, <clears throat> to keep the people happy. Uh, we've got, we've got that going on. We've got yeah. well, the man who's heard from God. At yes. Least. Yes. Same, same um, diff. So let's, yeah. let's talk about how we get people on board with this then the kind of the, um, uh, the emphasis. Um, so one of the things we see a lot in something like the new Testament texts is this emphasis in the Christian life. And, and Jesus talks about this as well at times about the importance of, um, 
taking up your cross, laying down your mm. life, the emphasis on mm. sacrifice, the emphasis is on self-giving. Um, and so what we see within these spaces and that kind of idea can be used um, in a way that says you should, it is your Christian duty to pay the price for this. Yeah. It, is your, it is your Christian responsibility and your love, if you really love God and love the church and love people, then you will burn your own life to the ground uh, yeah. as you pour because yourself Because anything out. else is selfishness. Yes, you know? that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So I heard God's you know, trying so to kill the self. One of the public responses to what's going on right now in New Zealand from a from a pastor was to say, um, was it was a was another mega church pastor who came out in defense saying, um, and I'd heard the, I've heard this many times um, as a kind of a, a mocking thing of people to say, people say, um, I want uh, God, God, would you use me? And then when God uses them, they complain that they've been used, and that's <laughs> and that's why we shouldn't worry about any of what these people are saying, you know, because they're yeah. just silly people yeah. who asked God yeah. to be used by God and then and then were used. Um, yeah. And now they're complaining about it because it turns out they didn't yeah. really want to be used by God. Yeah. yeah. Um, when actually they said, God used me, then they were violated and abused. And they said, hey, that's not what I asked for. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so one of the things <laughs> I had, had a message from someone the other day who was like, you know, just talking about the emphasis on once you're kind of in – so once you've yep. once you're securely in, yeah, and and everybody's relaxed about the fact that now you're in and you're committed. Um, now you're told church actually isn't about you, as well. Yeah. So you don't come to church yeah. for you; you come to church for mm. for others, and mm. um, and so therefore don't. Which talk- again is is partly true enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of this is, <laughs> and, and all of what we're just talking about in this little patch here is partly true, and it's enough mm. true. To really, to really hook people in yeah. to this. Yeah. So don't talk to your yeah. friends when you come to church. You should be looking for the newcomer. Um, mm. You know, don't complain that maybe you didn't get to enjoy the service because you were out in the pouring rain in the car park for the seventy fourth mm. week in a row. Um, because yeah. church isn't about you; it's about serving others. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, so this kind of, so I think it's worth just talking briefly about maybe why is that a misuse of of some of those ideas um, that that we're sort of seeing you know, the misuse of the idea of sacrifice and of laying your life down that's going on here? Yeah, I mean, there's a, about a thousand angles you come at this from, but um, yeah, for sake of time, let's just pick a couple. Um, one, again, this just comes back to the church being a body. And the idea of that kind of body metaphor is that all of the body is cared for and healthy. And so mm. the idea is that, yeah, church isn't about you in the sense that um, it's not about your gain over the top of other people's loss. Um, and it's not a, a, a kind of tool that is utilized to prosper you while other people starve. Um, it's about the sense of uh, every person within the community being seen, being known, um, having their needs met and their experience shared um, that, the church is this kind of like sacred space away from this kind of ladder climbing empire that we might experience in other contexts and a reminder that every human and every person is important. And so we need to care for each of the parts of the body as they are needed. Um, And so our gaze in that sense should be outwards in some sense. Um, But once you start neglecting your own body, And particularly once that's at the direction of the powerful to, so those who hold power are directing you to 
negate yourself more and more when ironically that just so happens that they seem to be flourishing more and more um that that system is broken yeah i guess the other thing i'd say to that is the kind of context of um taking up your cross mm. and you know when jesus was talking about taking up your cross and following me this is a man who probably had an inkling that at some point he would be carrying a cross um that the Roman Empire had forced on him. And his choices would be between violent resistance um, and starting a violent revolutionary overthrow of Jerusalem, which would have resulted in Jerusalem being crushed and, and, you know, 40 or so years later actually did happen, Um, or choosing the path of um, allowing himself to be crushed in that system to show how unjust that it, it, it killed God or it mm. killed the one who resembled God. Um, that's taking up your cross. Taking up your cross then gets co-opted by the church to say, whatever, because I am the visionary person in this church, I have decided that any sacrifice for this church is taking up your cross. Mm. Um, and so whether whatever I say goes, um, that's what sacrifice is, is whatever it takes to make my vision come true. Yeah. I, or God's vision come true. And so no longer is it about um, a a community of um, flourishing bodies that are seen and power imbalances being adjusted. It becomes something that perpetuates power imbalances, which is what the early church was all about resisting yes. about, you know, those, <laughs> those love one another yeah, and totally. submit to one another things is said in a context where you've got slaves who have no legal rights and could be killed by their masters at any point in time. And they're already submitting. They've got no, they've got no more to submit. Um, it's saying to the masters, submit to your slaves. What might that look like? I mean, it's just, it's, it's mind boggling in a sense now, having some distance from it. That these ideas that are so clearly there to, to resist the establishment mm. of ego, power, and status are being used to mm. reinforce it and to cultivate it. And so, you yeah. know, yeah, um, lay down your life or take up your cross um, yeah. is about, yeah, not giving into violence. It's about mm. um, not, or, or being a part of the body means don't come in here with your big ego saying you're a big shot and that you're going to get your way yeah. over everybody else and, and make it yeah. all about you. Um, it's not... <laughs> it's supposed to be used to make use of someone else who's got a bigger ego, who's got a big ego, and who's making it all about them. You know, um, yeah. So yeah, yep. the kind of the, the crazy irony of sometimes how these things can get flipped into their exact opposite meaning. Like I remember, yeah. Slide aside, um, the the text: um, man looks at the outside, but God looks at the heart. And and in the context of our meeting. Uh, they said, so the important thing we take from that today is to remember man looks at the outside and that's why we've got to make sure the outside remains looking good. That's why we've got to dress well. That's why we've got to do all these things. And even me at that time still in the system, I was like, wait a second. I feel like that's the exact opposite of what that text is supposed to be saying. I don't know uh, anything. I mean, the irony of this is that I've been told throughout my you know life of study and whatever is that theology really me- – doesn't theology really mess you up and leave you with a lot of weird ideas? This is what I've been told nonstop from people who haven't mm-hmm. studied theology. Oh, I've been told that theology, you know, gives you a lot of very strange ideas and going, yeah, look, just a tiny bit of theology might help some of this. Excuse me, I just have to let Rory the cat in because he demands to be star of the show again. You can hum a tune. Good one, Rory. Welcome. Welcome to our space.
Hello, Rory. Hi, Rory. Rory's okay, everyone. Okay, good. So one of the things then that gets enables people, not, not just that I'm the man with the vision, uh, one of the things then that happens is, to, is for that leader to say, I did my time also. So mm. I mm. was a servant, I washed the cars or moved the chairs or I did mm. whatever. Um, I laid my life down for this cause. Uh, the sacrificial stories that are told by those founding leaders. Oh, so yeah. I would yep. hear the one about, you know, I sold back when we first needed a building, I sold my boat um, yep. too. <laughs> Um, you know, I, mean, I wouldn't mind having a boat to sell. A boat, um, but you know, I sold my boat for for this, or I gave you know, I'd saved up a bunch of money for a house and I put it into this church. And so mm. th- that one or two stories from my early life become mm. the the defence and the justification mm. for asking you to do this for the next fifty years. Mm. Um, mm. I mean, let alone the let alone the ones they just lie about. Um, sure, <laughs> you know, we have a story of the one who pledges fifty grand at every conference that they're going to give and say it from stage and you know for a fact that they definitely did not do that. Yes, they don't follow through on the uh, those pledges all the time. No, or ever <laughs> in that case. Yes. Um, and, and so, again, there are these kind of – because if, if you just got up and said, look, I've got the vision and you all have to serve me, that wouldn't, mm. that wouldn't still play probably. Mm. I mean, sometimes it is that blatant and it kind of does miraculously yeah. play, but often it relies on other little things. So there's like um, – so let's say you've let's say hypothetically you develop an internship program um, mm. where you you and it's, which and definitely it's, isn't a cynical um, attempt to get free labour. No, so let's let's, other places. <laughs> uh, let's say you've got an internship program um, for the purposes of slave labour, but you don't want to say that. Uh, what you say is it's really important. You can't that, build pyramids without slaves. You Michael. know, one of you're in training for ministry. <laughs> God, uh, you're in training for ministry, but what the first the, the thing you must learn in ministry is that it's not about mm. you, and so mm. we're making you clean those cars, um, move those chairs till three in the morning, mm. um, yeah. day after day after day for a year. You're, we're making you pay us money to, for the privilege of doing that, so that you might learn servant heartedness, so that you might learn this key principle of leadership, like mm. I had to learn when I was younger mm. when I started mm. out. And yeah. then yeah. the kind of the kicker that starts to come in here is kind of, and if you're faithful with another man's vision, mm. one day God will give you your own. So, or be faithful in the small things, and then one day mm. God will be able to trust you with the bigger things. And so... And look, the genius of all this is that for those who are um, loyalists and for those who are... Um, like have that kind of like faithful intensity, what begins to happen is you begin to internalize the script yourself. And so you actually hear these messages from God yourself. Mm. So because you've heard them from the man of God, God's voice kind of gets co-opted or conflated with that. And so your own devotions and your own hearing from God, your own feelings of guilt and shame and all these things all begin to orbit around the same structure and the same narrative. So people don't even need to drive you anymore at some point. Mm. Oh, if I read, you know, if I, if I read my journals of, of my twenties, um, yes, it, they, they are. That would be a great podcast. <laughs> no, <laughs> can we? Oh gosh, no, no, we shan't be doing that. Okay, um, <laughs> far too many travails with masturbation. Um, <laughs> 
but but you know it, it was tales of woe it was always I'm so sorry mm. God I'm sorry that I'm so hopeless and I'm so useless and but mm. but I also know that you want me to be awesome and amazing and all I need to do is just really just try harder and and oh yeah. thank you that you forgive me and that you're gracious and even though I'm yeah. unworthy you're you know and so the, mm. the shape of spirituality feeds very much mm. into this whole yeah. um, structure and story that you then kind yeah. of buy into. Um, I, I have a friend who um, who read back through one of her journals and one of the entries was her um, spending a lot of time at a prayer meeting feeling terrible because she wasn't feeling wretched enough and she's right. asking God, please help me realize how wretched I am because I, I feel terrible because I don't feel wretched enough. Right. Yeah. So again, um, maybe we don't have time to unpack all of that, but but even that idea mm. is of, of our unworthiness um, yeah. and the way it plays in the system is is like a bastardization of a of a biblical idea um, mm-hmm. as well. Um, even yeah. things oh, we, like... I mean, we could do this all day. So let's maybe yeah, move yeah. on to the payoff because yes. um, I'm aware it's <laughs> probably already going to be a long one. <laughs> Uh, okay, so the payoff. So, so let's. Um, so, so one of the things that happens then. So you've got all, and I started to perhaps hint at that before when I talked about be faithful with another man's vision, and one day mm-hmm. God will give you your own. This idea that if you serve enough the vision of the man, um, mm-hmm. if you participate in building the empire, ultimately you are going to be blessed. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're faithful to God, you're going to be blessed. If you keep yourself pure, you're going to be blessed. If you keep serving the vision, mm-hmm. you're going to be blessed. If you keep tithing and giving sacrificially to the cause, yeah. you're going to be blessed. Yeah. Uh, and that yeah. ties in kind of the logic or into the logic of, of the message of prosperity, which we see mm-hmm. in a lot of these churches. Um, you know, most kind of Pentecostal evangelical mega churches have some flavor of prosperity uh, messaging mm-hmm. through them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mm-hmm. wanted to touch on maybe just a little bit of kind of where that comes from because there's an assumption again that these that these ideas just sort of drop out of heaven from God and suddenly now we're all talking about. <laughs> well, they were always um, in scripture all yeah, along. Yeah, that's right. Mm. So, so one of the things that happened, especially in, in North America, you know, North North America has its own particular history, um, pretty mm. a pretty difficult history to to re- to wrestle with, given that America sort of cast themselves as the, as the heroes of the global story at the moment. Um. But one of the things you see is is this kind of um, escape from tyranny um, in England, um, in Britain, uh, an escape to the new lands, the the the, the Puritans who who find these new lands. Um, now there's a there's a whole colonising narrative here too, uh, of taking mm-hmm. the land from from those pesky savages who who already mm-hmm. have it and inhabit it. So we've got to take it from them, set up our new thing, and then and then um, seek a kind of the blessing and prosperity that it's going to come to us because we are, we have, we're boldly coming to this new land. We are, we are doing God's will by rejecting the the mm. corruption of the place that we've come from, yeah. and so seeing there's the first seeds there really of seeing in that context of seeing the blessing and prosperity as um, a sign of God's favor. And again, drawing back to particular kind of biblical passages to, to reinforce yep. that. But then when where it really kicks into a to a different kind of level, and also and also that um, just kind of with that uh, also kind of like twisted in terms of like you know God wants you to be rich so you can bless others like that kind of like yeah, yeah. like charity angle of that as well. So to not make it all seem self obsessed and selfish, mm. like if you don't mm. have things to give away, then you know how are you going to bless other people? Yeah, oh totally. So like um, Brian Houston had a book years ago called You Need More Money. And the whole point was you mm. need more money to do all the things that the great things that God has called you to do in the world and to bless people and to give it away and to yeah. help the poor. Yeah. And the way you get it is by giving away a lot of money. Yeah. Yes. So, um, to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
ironically. I mean, like, yeah, 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 I, totally. I didn't make the plan up. <laughs> yeah, it just, just happens to be that way. It's just the way it works. Yeah. It's very mm. sort of accidentally convenient. Um, mm. In a convenient pyramid shape. So, so yeah. the, one of the things that happens in the, in the late 19th century in the US, there's this development of, of kind of a school of thought. This wasn't Christian at all. It wasn't within the church, but it was called New Thought. And basically it was this idea that thoughts are more powerful than things. Uh, and so if you, you think something, you have the power to control external, the external world. Um, and there was a guy by the name of E.W. Kenyon who grabbed onto this idea and kind of Christianized it. And so this is kind of the seeds of what becomes known as kind of the faith and the health and wealth gospel, um, which ties mm. into the, kind of this idea of triumphant success, prosperity, always going upward and so on. So basically mm. what he does is he takes that kind of framework and he says, oh, he's, actually, let's kind of Christianize that. So it's, it's, it's if we claim the blessings and the promises of God and then we demonstrate enough faith, then God will, um, you know, mm. the world is under the domain of the devil, but God will start to bless us and the riches of the, of the, you know, that are in the enemy's hands right now will come flooding into the church, come flooding into our lives. And so all mm. we need to do is, is start to speak out this stuff in faith. And so that's where you kind of get the origins of kind of the, I'm speaking it into being and I'm naming, naming it and claiming it and yep. um, blabbing it and grabbing it uh, <laughs> and all of that kind of stuff. I'm speaking into being my third jet plane, you know. And so the kind of the, the super excesses of, uh, that we see in America kind of um, come, come from there. So, so mm. for, at first it starts out of this kind of, um, I'm able to kind of claim some kind of dominion in the world. I'm able to, and yep. again, fits with colonization narrative. I am mm. taking back the world for God. And I can do so by claiming and naming these truths. And so I might get scriptures and repeat them, or I might get this idea yep. and say it over and over again until I believe it, because I've got to have total faith for it to work. Uh, the yeah. only way this works is if I believe it. It's a great it with, exit, isn't it? it yeah. If it's not working, it's because you don't have total faith. So I've got to yeah, believe it without any doubt. And yeah, and that, that yeah. way, if someone doesn't have the miracle come to pass, you can just say, well, you didn't, maybe you didn't have enough faith or you didn't believe, believe enough. hard enough. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and then that starts to flow into the kind of the post world. You masturbated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. So the post world, post world. This this episode is definitely the top of the um, list of in the shift episodes for mentioning. It's not the only episode that's mentioned masturbation, but it is definitely a top top mention. Our, our M count has gone right through. Yeah. Um, so then you get the the post World War Two America, um, where wealth really starts to build there, and so this message kind of really takes off, and so you start getting preachers talking about this idea of of um, prosperity that is God's promise to all of us. And so God wants you to be rich. God wants you to be wealthy. God wants you to be successful, like you said before, for the purposes of blessing the world and so on. Mm. Um, and for the purposes of being a great example of how how following God's principles lead to wonderful things. Um, yep. Again, a pushback against the embarrassment. Everyone will want to be a part of it. Yes, yep. and then everyone will want to be a part of it. Fits really well with capitalism as well and kind of the emerging Ooh, capitalist and, and consumer culture that was kind of starting to burgeon in the mid to late 20th century. So all of these things kind of tie together to leave us with churches who are who are convinced, at least at some level, or are convincing people that if mm. you do all of these things, if you lay down mm. your life mm. in sacrifice, if you, if you yep. just keep serving and keep giving... Yep. And keep giving yep. your money and your time. God is going to return Do what that God back is to doing you. in the world. You're yep. participating with what God's doing in the world, so God's going to turn around and bless you. And so you're going to find that you prosper, and you're going to find that your, you know, God blesses your finances. Um, mm. And that's mm. that's then like the payoff. That's the reward to this whole thing. And I don't mean just finances, even. Um, you know, it's it's the whole of life is supposed to flourish and be better and better and better. So we talked a bit last yep. time about the best yep. is yet to come narrative, and it fits yep. very much within 
this kind yeah. of prosperity message. The best is yet to come. And even if that's relationally, whatever prosperity looks like in your life, it's all going to come good yeah. because of yeah. what you've sown into yeah. the kingdom and what you've given and what you've mm. Um, mm. sacrificed. Um, and, and so the, the, the worst bit is, is this happens often enough that it can be used as proof. Yeah. So the people who are most impenetrable to the idea that this doesn't work, uh, there's two categories of people who are mo- the most impenetrable to the idea that this doesn't work, are people who so desperately need to believe it because their lives are so desperate mm-hmm. that they need this to work because otherwise they're struggling to find hope. Yeah, And the people who have tasted financial success and who can say, it's because we did this. Mm. They showed me the formula. Look at my life. The formula worked. Now, it just so happens that often those people also have profound skills in small to medium business mm. or a trust fund or some, some other factor um, that makes them extremely, extremely good. And they can say, look, God blessed my business. Um, and, and that may be true in parts, but also doesn't discount the fact that for um, the sole parent caring for three autistic children um, and working a minimum wage job to make ends meet will never have the opportunities for God to bless them in that particular way, no matter how much they give and no matter how much they do. Um, and well, God, that's what's kind of so sick a, about this. God is a capitalist right? God. <laughs> yes. may not be able to may not be able to bless you outside of those mechanisms. And and the, and, yeah. and the kind of sick thing about this for me, the thing that makes me feel kind of you know nauseous, is that that fucking angry. Yeah, yeah. is that that solo mum is is made to feel responsible for her own poverty by nature yep. of this system. Yeah, um, and then well, is pressured neoliberalism. Yeah. yeah, and then is pressured to give. Mm. what little she has yeah. uh, to the church in the hopes that that's going to fix the situation for her. So she goes off yeah. to a conference and someone says, someone here needs a miracle. Someone here yeah. needs a life transformation. They need their circumstances to change. And that yeah. person needs to stand up and pledge $5,000 right now. Now, the solo mom's not yeah. going to have five grand. But they work their yeah. way down, start with the rich people yeah. or the people who have just yes. saved up, not even rich. People have just saved up some money for something really important to them who suddenly yeah. are, are compelled yeah. by this. Uh, and then they get right down to some of you here can only give 20, but there's going to be 500 yep. of you in this room right now who can give $20. Mm-hmm. And that even might mm-hmm. bring about your miracle. And so you've got people now being pressured within the system to mm-hmm. to give what little they had in the hope that somehow that's going to have a payoff and a reward. I'm going to serve on the And it, again, it's not always quite such straight lines in our heads. It's not like, oh, mm-hmm. if I serve on this team and I do this, then I'm doing that because then God's going to do the X, Y, and Z for me. No. But it's Sometimes just, it's just because I love God. Yeah. If you love God, you will do these yeah, things. Yeah. Yeah. So it's all kind of woven through And together. God will see that. And, and there are, yeah. you know, even Kate Bowler who, or Bowler who um, did her PhD on the prosperity gospel, talks about hard and soft versions of it. So you've got like hard mm. versions, which are like the real extreme end of all you need is faith. Mm. But then you've got soft versions of it, which... Um, which a lot of these churches we're talking about use. The, a lot of the churches mm. we're talking about don't use those hard, extreme versions of prosperity gospel. Mm. They use kind of a a, a a softer version that still fundamentally believe, fundamentally believes God wants to prosper you and bless you financially and for your and for the best yeah. is yet to come. But yeah. um, but here's the principle: it's not just about faith. You've also got to do these things, and you've also got to work this yeah. out in your life. Stewardship and yes. all this kind yeah, of yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Right. but part of the mechanism is always giving to God. Part of the mechanism is the always giving to God. 
Yeah. And I remember- And, and um, so let's, let's just quickly um, go back to uh, last episode where I talked a little bit about church being a, a, an impenetrable space. Mm. Um, if you were to, to create a safe and honest environment where say there was a thousand people sitting in the room and you could get all of them to share their stories of this stuff and say, how has it worked out for you? You might have 50 people who were to say, I'm, I'm flourishing beyond all measure. And you might have a whole bunch more people saying, nah, haven't really seen any difference either way. And then you might have a huge amount of people who say, I felt manipulated to give it above and beyond my means. And I feel really ashamed of that, but I can't tell anyone because I'm tied to the script and my social group is tied to the script and my social security is tied to the script and I've internalized the script. And so I'm apologizing to God for it. Um, and there's no space for this. And so because the community is an impenetrable space, those stories will never be the ones that come out. Mm. And so if you looked at the statistics and go, whoa, statistically, this is not really working out, is it? Um, if you only showcase the 50 people who feel like they have flourished because their small business or whatever has done really well out of this, or they managed to get a house because they got an inheritance or whatever happened, um, then that becomes the norming norm and yeah. evidence and proof. The only testimonies that really can be told are the triumphant ones in that space. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. That, and that tells you... So if you're the person out there feeling abused and abused or like it didn't come true, all that tells you is to internalize a feeling of, of shame because you mm. probably didn't do the thing you needed to do to make it come true. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, Hillary McBride said recently, she said, you know, spiritual, one, one aspect of spiritual trauma is, uh, is being handed an inner critic and then being told it's the voice of God, you know? Yes. Um, oh, and I think yeah. that's so much of what kind of, Oof. goes on here again uh, maybe as a way to kind of <laughs> hit ourselves towards a finish lest we're still here in a week's time um, my back hurts again about these scriptural stories that get end up having the opposite meaning to what they attend because even when I'm talking <laughs> about like um, you should give the little that you have one of the stories mm. I heard over and over again was the story of the widow's mind who's oh, a widow Lord. that Jesus sees uh, she comes into the temple and she puts in these two coins um, mm. and Jesus says, look at this widow, she's put in everything that she has to live on. And that story gets repeated ad nauseum as ways to yes. say, even if you don't have very much, what you have you should give because that's what God asks of you, and then mm. you will be blessed. And I remember mm. even having a conversation with some leaders once, and be like, we don't hear anything more about the widow. Do we know mm. she was blessed? And they're like, oh, we know she was blessed. Um, we mm. know that she... You know, we don't get to hear the end of her story. Jesus was pointing to her faithfulness. Yeah. And then you start doing a a little bit of study, a little bit of that pesky theology. (laughs) Dangerous theology. And then you're like, ooh. Okay, firstly, I remember someone saying to me, God actually doesn't commend her faithfulness. Uh, Jesus doesn't commend her faithfulness. He doesn't say, and wasn't that good how she put that in. And (laughs) I was like, yeah, no, it definitely does say that. So I look up the passage and it's like, oh no, all he says is, Look at this widow. She's put in everything she has to live on. All these other rich people have come on long and put in money out of all of their wealth. She's put in everything she has to live on. And then you find out, you look at the verses immediately before and afterwards and immediately before Jesus is railing against those with religious power because they are, Mm. quote, devouring widows' houses. Then he Mm -hmm. tells the story of a widow who put in everything she had to live on. Mm-hmm. And then he leaves the temple, turns around and says to his disciples, this temple is going to be destroyed because it's corrupt. Yeah. And it's like, ah. Because it is a system which is robbing the poor. Yes. Who is the other ones that Jesus has his eye on 
to protect. And so again, like the the crazy travesty of a story that is supposed to tell us and warn us against taking advantage of the poor and squeezing the last drop out of everybody before they lay down and die is used to uphold that very system. And it's it's, it's just, it's tragic. And and, and not only that, but it's a a system that suppresses counter-narratives. Yes. So one of my again one of you know one of the things I care most deeply about in the, in the idea of church community is the capacity for people to share their stories and their experiences and their perspectives mm. because it highlights what we might have been missing with any kind of efficient system mm. um, and if that if that isn't possible then this is what happens is over and over and over again um, you can narrate people's pain for them and tell them what it's all about or narrate narrate people's experience and tell them what it should be like. And have them feel shame that it's like that, mm. and those stories never get told. And then you can say, "See, everybody, it works out for everybody I know, um, except for those pesky, you know, people who didn't really, they weren't really on board, or they had a few problems or whatever." Mm. Um, but that was really their fault, not ours. Yeah, and maybe some of those people just quit before their breakthrough, right? Which is a phrase oh. I think we've mentioned before, but it's. Yeah, it's um, yeah, very effective. Yeah, so so Maybe so I think what we before they died. <laughs> yeah, so I think what we're um, what we're hoping to do here is lay out a sense mm. of of just understanding some of the core components of the of the belief structure that sits underneath this this idea mm. of the hero narrative, the man with the plan, the idea of mm. building the empire, of kind of taking mm. the nation or gaining influence, taking the city, um, winning back the nation for Christ, whatever the language is that's given. Then the way in which we use belief um, and people's heart, you know, devotion to God um, to, to sort of baptize our own um, institution uh, in divine authority so that people might devote their lives towards the thing that we're building uh, with this kind of hope of some kind of, or this promise of the fact that ultimately God will bless you because of all of this and it will all be great. And even if you lose out now, God will make sure that it returns to you a hundredfold, you know. And so mm. so that whole structure becomes a belief structure upon which so much of what we've already been talking about can be built. Mm. Yeah. Yep. So that's a good it's place to finish. Yeah. All right. Okay, so there we go. Um, a long one today. I uh, hope it helps. Thanks as always to Reese Michelle for his audiological skills in massaging the content and quality of this sound into your ears. I hope you can continue with us on the journey. Until next time.